Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. I'm blessed to have this gentleman join us. He's uh, born and raised in Westlock. And whoever said nothing good comes out of Westlock, right? That's another another topic for another day, I think, right? <laughs> Been a teacher and educator in Catholic schools in Alberta for 22 years and is currently Assistant Superintendent of Faith and Wellness Formation for Elk Island Catholic Schools. But safe to say, his biggest passion is his family, husband to one and father to five, and most importantly, our brother in Christ. Paul Corrigan, it's a blessing to have you join us. How are you? Oh, great, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate this this morning. And uh, it's an exciting endeavor you got going here. I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank Thanks, you. Paul. I really appreciate you coming on and, and being a part of it. Uh, it's outstanding. And, and what some people might not know, Paul, not to, to date you, but I was actually your student. And, uh, but we're very close in age. All I'll say is you're on the right side of 50. I'm on the wrong side of or 30, I guess. 30, year, I, right? 30, yeah, I, something yeah. like that. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it blurs every day. It does. That's right. But we've known each other for a long time. It's, it's been a blessing, Paul. So that's great. Thanks for, for coming on again. So uh, grew up in Westlock. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, uh, maybe some of your influences when you were a youth and um, how uh, things got started for your journey of faith and how it got to where you are today. Yeah, uh, well, I really appreciate the uh, growing up in the rural setting or small town, small town Alberta setting. You don't realize till afterwards kind of what a blessing that is. Uh, certainly, I didn't always think so at the time that it was a blessing, but um, got to go to school in the same school building for grades 1 through 12. And uh, St. Mary's School in Westlock, it's produced a few leaders uh, over the course of the years and still is still out there um, doing well. Very small Catholic school in the midst of a town. Uh, so very much appreciated and supported by uh, publicly funded Catholic education out there as well. Um, a vibrant parish out there with a number of different pastors. And so you kind of grow up in the, in the cultural Catholic context. And uh, so certainly for me, that uh, passion for religion and understanding faith uh, drew me into university. Uh, but like so many at the time, you become a little bit, uh, the zeitgeist or the spirit of the age has its will too. And so then the idea of comparative religions, <clears throat> learning about all different religions came in and we're going to hear probably a little more about TK Chesterton today, but uh, he talks about comparative religions makes one's compare, makes one comparatively religious. Um, and that certainly was the case with me. Uh, didn't the, uh, looking for in all these places something to kind of fill up my hunger for spiritual insight or spiritual a deep spiritual experience and um, tried the junk food of uh, comparative religions um, and didn't find that it didn't really nourish me in, in the way that I that I was hoping for ultimately um, appreciate the learning that I have and I'm still able to use that today when engaging with other faiths but uh, ultimately uh, found my home back in my 
my growing up faith and my nourishment, uh, that it was all there in Catholicism. I just uh, hadn't realized it for so many years, which once again is like a, a, an experience of, that uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote about in his seminal work, kind of uh, orthodoxy. Yeah, that's, uh, and was there something maybe in your youth or maybe as you got a little bit older and going to university, was there um, kind of a particular sort of a metanoia moment, uh, you know, of, of awakening where you said, you know, maybe I have some questions about Catholicism and Christianity, but, uh, you know, there's, there, the answers are there for us if we go and look for them. Uh, was there sort of uh, one of those moments for you in, in that, uh, that time period? Yeah, I would say, like, so I had a lot of religious education, uh, post-secondary formation, but uh, my, my, one of my first jobs uh, was working at, at the school that you went to, Dave, uh, Holy Family Cyber High, and we had a lot of the vast majority of the students were non-Catholic, but very engaged in their faith. Um, and, you know, God bless those families for uh, being good Christian families and, and raising their children well. They knew their faith very well. The parents knew their faith very well. It was an online environment, so they all could see everything. <laughs> and they really wanted to talk about faith. And so this was somewhat overwhelming for just a culturally raised new religious education teacher. And it was in that environment that I really was challenged to learn about my faith in a very deep way. Um, and that, that was primarily through books. I would spend my day teaching and I would spend my night reading books on apologetics um, and uh, just an understanding and defense of the faith. And I very much appreciate that time and, and all those people because that, that for me is what I would consider to be my most pivotal time of formation. And in reading these books, so uh, Father, Father James Shaw, and Peter Kreeft were two of my favorites that I would read. And they kept quoting the same guy. And uh, so finally, at some point, I, I decided to, well, I better find out who this guy is and take a look at some of his works directly. And that's, that's ultimately kind of what led me to uh, what I would consider to be my most significant spiritual mentor in my life, anyway, G.K. Chester. Yeah, isn't that interesting how, uh, and, and interesting, big Carl Keeby, I believe Answering a Fundamentalist, I believe that was, was that one of his books as well? Uh, yeah, Carl Keating, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, was that on my was, nightstand those years, you better believe it. Yeah. yeah, and you know what, that was one of the first books that I'd had on uh, on apologetics too, so it's interesting that you that you bring him up. Uh, a very short book, but a very good one, and uh, yeah, we have a lot of Protestant brothers and sisters, separated brothers and sisters that... Uh, that have some really good questions and it was, uh, it's, it's nice to be challenged. And it was even better for me. And at least in my experience, and probably in yours too, Paul, is that you can go and find the answers and say, man, what a great church we belong to because we can find these answers and, and share our, the good news of our faith. But sometimes it just takes us a little bit more digging to get into it. So yeah, you bring up GK Chesterton and absolutely. So that that's, uh, and I think for me too, I, I didn't know a lot about GK Chesterton actually until I met you, Paul, actually. So, um, and then on EWTN, a lot of people that, uh, that watch EWTN on, uh, on TV, there's, uh, there's a program dedicated to GK Chesterton that's been around for several years. And uh, so that's sort of my two introductions to GK Chesterton. So um, maybe tell us a little bit more about GK Chesterton and, and uh, how you're introduced to him. And uh, sounds like it was through some other um, yeah, voices in the church, but uh, was there a, was there a book or was there a saying that really got you saying, "Hey, I really got to find out more about this guy"? Well, yeah, like so. There's a there's a beautiful little book by um, Father James Shaw called um, uh, what is it called? 
it's on education. Its name will come to me in a moment. I don't have it here in front of me, but uh, it, it's got a huge subtitle. And uh, he, Father Shaw is a, uh, just recently passed away. May he rest in peace. He was a professor of political philosophy in Georgetown. And that was my other love was political science. And he, he has a book that basically tells you on these topics, these are the books you should read. And over and over again, Chesterton is mentioned. And I had never heard of him. And uh, like, like yourself and like so many uh, of our generation, generations around us, um, this was a person who was extremely well known in the first quarter of the century. Um, one of the top English language writers of the century, without question. And uh, would have been... A, when he came to the U.S., he sold out every night. It was front page news every place he went uh, and then completely fell off the map. Um, so when I be, began to become interested in, in Chesterton, you could almost not find his books anywhere, frankly. Um, combing secondhand bookstores looking for his books or, you know, some those are the beginnings of the days of the Internet. Some some little Internet sources might have had and you find a few people that that are interested in him. I. Uh, very much attracted to his writing <clears throat> and his joy. Um, he was he was a he was a journalist. He would he was known as a journalist for his whole life. Uh, he made his living uh, working for Illustrated London News and ultimately uh, had his own paper towards the end of his life in the last decade, the GK's Weekly. And he wrote thousands of essays, but he wrote on every topic. He wrote plays. He wrote mysteries. He wrote nonfiction. Um, he wrote uh, poems, he was a poet, he wrote on the saints. So just a, a true, complete writer and thinker. And I think part of the reason why he fell off the map is because of our tendency these days to not look at things in a kind of a holistic way, but to look at things in a tiny little uh, broken up way. And he doesn't fit, he doesn't fit any of those little boxes that we have created um, because he, he truly uses uh, his spiritual understanding of the world, ultimately his Catholicism, to to, to take in everything at the same time. <clears throat> and that's hard for us to understand. He's a he's a difficult writer to to get into at the beginning because he he goes around and and you just have to go along for the ride with him. Um, my favorite work of his uh, is The Everlasting Man, which is this was uh, this book was written <coughs> excuse me in response to um, a book by H.G. Wells, which was uh, the outline of history, where H.G. Wells wrote a wrote a history of of the world uh, that didn't involve religion or faith or any 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 Christian understanding of it. And he he wrote this book in response to it, uh, but you don't know that most people don't know that if you, it doesn't appear that way when you when you read the book. But he wrote it called The Everlasting Man, with the centerpiece of of all of history being the birth of Christ uh, in the book. So that, that's so, my favorite one. So Paul, a little bit about HG Wells. Um, what was the premise, I guess, of his, was it a book or was it an argument that he had? Was he, was he an atheist or was he, was he, did he belong to some sort of a religious group himself or? HG um, Wells struggled with his, with his understanding, you know, at times he would have been a theist, but it, mm -hmm. the, the book uh, is, is pretty much a, an atheistic beginnings of an atheistic view of of the world so um yeah at that time uh, we had a lot a lot of different people so there's you know darwinism and uh freud you know so so er everything is evolution everything freud everything is sex uh, marxism everything everything is e economics 
um, again, they were all kind of trying to narrow the picture. And uh, and Chesterton joyfully never he was never angry at his opponent. He, in fact, he was great friends with H.G. Uh, sorry, with um, with Shaw, Bernard Shaw, uh, who was a very famous writer. Uh, they disagreed on everything, but they also were great friends. Um, and and that it's that persona I think that uh, that we need in our society today that, uh, that joyous disciple discipleship. I was gonna say we could use a little bit more of that today, couldn't we? I mean. Uh... It's uh, either uh, one way or the other. Either you really, it's not even agree or disagree. It's uh, it's love or hate almost now, right? Like it's uh, very extreme both ways. So um, Oscar Wilde too. I wanted to bring Oscar Wilde up because he was uh, a pretty significant name around that era as well. And it seemed like there was some exchanges between G.K. Chesterton and Oscar Wilde at the time as well. Is that, uh, is that? Uh, is that yeah. I believe I believe Oscar Wilde was influenced by G.K. Chesterton uh, to a significant degree, and o Oscar Wilde had a troubled life um, as well, and so they were contemporaries. But uh, at the end of Oscar Wilde's life, he he was a deathbed repentant and did uh, did reconcile with his faith. Um, so so a, di a different a difficult life, but and a and a person of great great gifts who who struggled through, um, and in a very open way because of, because of his public life, uh, struggled through life, but uh, ultimately, uh, with prayer, we, we hope and pray that Oscar Wilde is with, with our Lord right now. So. Interesting, too, you know, uh, you know we've, we're talking about G.K. Chesterton. I think there's sort of a, you know, the renaissance of G.K. Chesterton. Things are, he's coming back, I think, in, in, a, in a way, and I think it's, uh, it's great for Catholicism and Christianity to be bringing back some of these voices from the past, these to, to help guide us towards heaven, right? And but you know, I think of Oscar Wilde. I didn't realize, you know, from a a secular perspective, I, I never knew that he had any kind of uh, relationship with God or any kind of relationship with the church until I um, heard uh, Joseph Pierce, who I'm sure you're you're familiar with. He's mm -hmm. got a mm -hmm. a book uh, on Oscar Wilde that's uh, that's very interesting. Even someone like Shakespeare too. I, I had no idea, even though reading his books in high school, I had no idea that he uh, he was certainly. Um, uh, obviously there's probably just like Oscar Wilde, there's some ups and downs in his spiritual life as well, but definitely did mm -hmm. have a relationship with the church and was, was trying to live a life of, of, uh, of Christianity and a walk with God. So, uh, that is interesting. Yeah. Joseph Pierce makes a great argument in that, uh, for the, 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 the orthodoxy of Shakespeare, I think is the, is the name of the book that, that outlines yeah. that and magnificent, um, Interestingly, Joseph Pierce would <clears throat> definitely credit G.K. Chesterton and Chesterton's friend Hilaire Belloc with his own conversion to the faith as well. Um, you are absolutely correct. It was fascinating. So once for my, myself, uh, I had the opportunity in 2008 to attend. Uh, a G the, I just looked it up and I, I, I wonder if there's a conference on this guy, G.K. Chesterton. And there was. And so I went to it. And uh for, for me, that was another one of those metanoia moments, if you will. Um, I, I had never in my life been around people with whom I was so at home, uh, with, a, with a deep understanding of their identity and their faith life. Uh, and uh, I, I came back just, you know, kind of on fire for Chesterton, on fire for my faith a little bit. And uh, I've had the privilege of returning to that conference two or three more times. In the last uh, in the last several years, um, it was at the time it was the 
Society. No, it was the American Chesterton Society. And since then, it has changed its, uh, its outlook to become the Society of G.K. Chesterton, which is actually a Catholic apostolate. And part of what they're trying to do or, or advocating for is, the, um, is looking at the possible canonization of Chesterton. Uh, in her life because one of the things as you know david in order to become a saint or to be declared a saint i should say um <clears throat> you have to have evidence of a cult and we don't mean cult in the in the bad scary movie way we mean uh people who are have a devotion to this person or who have found found a relationship with christ through through this person and uh some people have said there is no cult of gk chesterton and the society says well we have several thousand members who might uh, stand up to disagree with that. So it's, a, it's an interesting time. Well, I think the proof is always in the pudding when it comes to, uh, to uh, causes for sainthood. And, uh, and uh, you look at somebody's life and, and how extraordinary it can be. And obviously we've seen that with some of our recent popes and uh, somebody like Mother Teresa. But then you think of G.K. Chesterton and say, okay, well, you know, and sometimes maybe lay people kind of get... Uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit different for them because, you know, if you belong to an order, you're a priest or a nun, sometimes you have people in the order that are dedicated to, to helping move your cause forward. Uh, right. Sometimes when you're a lay person, that's not always the case. But uh, in G.K. Chesterton's case, he's got, uh, um, you know, this, this group of people, this, uh, um, this uh, you know, there's a website dedicated to him. He's got all these books. He's got a lot of things going on, right? And obviously there's a conference dedicated to his works and it. You think of the the good work that's still going on to this day, even though he's been, uh, you know, long gone from us uh, from this earth for for several decades. Uh, I think it's more than worth taking that look and, and seeing uh, uh, that it is an extraordinary life that he he had lived. It's I I, I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. It's valuable, um, in, and I'm certainly biased as a lay person, but um, I believe that modern examples of lay saints are exactly what the church maybe needs to put forward right now. For my two cents yep. um and uh hey I, I i can't recall any other cigar smoking saints so let's, let's see if we can get one talk about somebody that people that's, can really relate to right out. i think we'll edit that out hey that's uh, <laughs> no i don't think so i think it's real right i, I believe one of one of chesterton's quotes even though we didn't uh, uh didn't go through it here in the last uh, couple of days but one was catholicism is like it's like eating a good steak and smoking a good cigar and a fine cigar absolutely and a fine cigar yeah. and, and it, it, it really is it's it's rich right if you ever uh you know peel open the catechism of the catholic church i i say to people if you want to see what what rich is like with cake and, and the cream and the and the cherry on top that's reading the catechism of the catholic church it is it is so rich indeed i wanted to ask you too paul about another couple names and, and some names that people are definitely familiar with, or at least they'd be familiar with their works. And that would be J.R.R. Tolkien. A lot of people don't know that he is a Catholic. He was a, a very yeah. strong and practicing Roman Catholic. Of course, the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And C.S. Lewis, um, The Chronicles of Narnia and uh, in that series. And, and of course, he's written several books, including Mere Christianity. Now, C.S. Lewis did not uh, become a Catholic, although he was, uh, I believe he was a member of the Anglican Church, right, Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, uh, but, a but a faithful man for sure. But uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, the influence that Chesterton had on, on those two gentlemen as well. Yeah, great. There's a great kind of, um, you know, speaking from the point of view of C.S. Lewis for a moment, there's a great convergence of stories and understanding between their, uh, the uh, C.S. Lewis was an atheist and, uh, 
confidence or certainly at least very much struggling with his belief in God. And he, he was recommended a book. And after he read this book, he's quoted as saying, an atheist cannot be too careful what one reads. And, and the book he, he read was The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. That, that's the book he's referring to now. So that, that helped to put him on the road with faith. Um, and then there's one night, uh, a very famous night in which um, there was a group called the Coal Biters uh, because they would, they would gather around a coal fire and uh, they would stay close to this coal fire and, and they would tell stories in, uh, in old English. And uh, Tolkien was a member of the society, so was, um, so was C.S. Lewis. And they went for a long walk uh, and they were debating You'll have to excuse me if I get a few of the details correct here, but uh, they were debating um, myth and uh, C.S. Lewis was very much against the idea of, he said, well, myth is like lies breathed, lies breathed with silver, I believe is a quote. And, uh, and Tolkien challenged him on this and, and said, no, it's, it's, it's myth that leads us to the truth. Um, and this, he has a great... Um, See, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien has a great essay called on fairy stories, and uh, it's that fairies in Elfland, that's also very prevalent in G.K. Chesterton, the very famous chapter in his most famous work of orthodoxy is on the ethics of Elfland. They, they had this similar idea of myth leading us to truth and this great story uh, of which we can be a part. Um, and they went for this long night's walk, and it was kind of C.S. Lewis's final step towards uh, embracing the full full-on christianity yeah isn't that uh, and, and and then you go through the, obviously the the real famous works of both c.s lewis and tolkien and you can certainly see the injection of christianity and uh particularly the lord of the rings i had i was not too familiar with with tolkien before i watched the actual movies but uh, i remember watching the first movie and saying man there is something profoundly catholic about this work even though it was a hollywood movie but you could definitely see the overtures of of catholicism and, and christianity and, and that um, that that good versus evil that you know a, a, a definitely a line that was uh, very clear which is you know it seems to be blurred today but uh lessons yeah. from these guys that we can learn right it's it's a, it's beautiful that you know the movies uh really have repopularized tolkien in, in a significant way although a number of polls throughout the last 30 years have, have, have called those books the greatest works, greatest fiction of the 20th century too. But uh, Peter Jackson, who's an atheist, but he was determined to get to the spirit of Tolkien. And so I, I believe you're exactly right. It still shines through in the movie because he was, while it's not his own belief, the director, uh, he, he tried to honor the spirit of what Tolkien was trying to do, which was, you know, as, as you're well aware, calling... Uh, the Lord of the Rings, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. That's a quote from Tolkien. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that's great. And Chesterton, did he have? I mean, we talked a little bit about. Uh, uh, you know, he, he wrote so many essays, and uh, it's funny you say too. You know, in our world and how how we accept, uh, you know, works and, and journalistic works today, and even maybe back, you know, fifty to eighty years ago, you know, it seems like either we've been boiled down to these really long. Uh, almost ridiculous books or long articles in newspapers that don't make a lot of sense and they're they're full of jargon and mumble jumble or we get like the the two or three word mottos or these catchphrases that are just you know and we've talked about that before Paul where they're just so empty and neutral right 
But G.K. Chesterton had a real way of finding that it was a quip, but it was a sentence, and there was a lot of it was it was deep. There was a lot of quantity in those, uh, or sorry, a lot of quality, not quantity, in uh, in those uh, those sayings and those these, uh, these words that he said. We already mentioned a few of them here, but is there some that that you wanted to highlight here um, as we we chat about Chesterton? I mean. And you hate to boil things down just to a few sentences because he's had so much, so many good works, but it does give a, a little snapshot of, of the, the man and, and the way he thought. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I have my morning coffee mug here in front of me. And uh, this one says, daybreak is a never-ending glory. Getting out of bed is a never-ending nuisance. Okay, so maybe maybe <laughs> that one's not deep, but it's, uh, but it is enjoyable. And, and I, 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 I keep coming back to that because I just want to keep highlighting the fact that this is a, you know, the, people think the stodgy English professor and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, this is a fellow who um, he, he called himself the politest man in England. He was a large fellow. And it would, the people would ask, well, why are you the politest man in England? Well, when I, when I get up to offer my seat on the bus, I can offer it to three ladies. <laughs> or he was trying to get into a cab. Now I'm just sounding off. But he's trying to get into a cab and the, the, he couldn't, he was having a hard time getting in. He's a big fellow. And the cab, the, the cab driver said, perhaps if you uh, got in sideways. And he said, sir, I have no sideways. Um, but, uh, you know, the quote I put at the end of my tagline in my, e in my email is perhaps one of my favorites of his. Uh, that is, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, it is important that we can defend our faith and, and uh, be able to enunciate what we believe. But people need to see that it is something with which we are in love. Um, and, th and that ultimately, I believe, is what draws people to, to the faith. And then they come with the questions. And, th and then be, be ready to always give an answer for the hope that people see in you. No one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. That's what uh, I think kind of you know, symbolizes or, or says, kind of encapsulates that, I think. And, and uh, isn't it interesting, is back in the early church, you know, where... Um, you know, I can't remember the era, Paul, but you could probably help me out with this. But it was, um, you know, the pagans of the time were seeing how how much the Christians loved each other. They said, you know, we've been, you know, for their dying, some really brutal deaths, right? There's a lot of, mm -hmm. so many martyrs, thousands and thousands of martyrs. But they said, uh, you know, look how much they love each other. Look how much those Christians love each other. And, you know, love and, and mercy, all forgiveness, these are all things that Jesus gave us and uh, all, you know, entrusted the Catholic church in spreading to the world. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's really interesting how uh, the way Chesterton puts it as well. Another one that I like too, Paul, and I, and I think that uh, there's been various sayings that are kind of similar to this, but uh, the one that uh, we have here is a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. And you think of being alive in the Christian faith, a love affair with Jesus Christ, how we can be alive and how we can share that with others. But, you know, it's, uh, we see that today where I think, you know, the cancel culture, you know, we're, we're just everybody, it's the mob mentality of, of, uh, you know, there's, there is no mercy. There is no forgiveness. It's funny you mention that because something I came across about three years ago, um, Chesterton was always, a, uh, he was a, he and Belloc were a fan of an economic theory called distributism. And it's based on, it's an economic theory that's based on Catholic social teaching. It's probably a subject for another day's podcast. But um, yeah. when I was a very, before I knew of G.K. Chesterton, I, I, I read a, an essay by 
I think his name is Anthony Medallier. Um, excuse my pronunciation. And I didn't realize it, it was a distributist essay. <clears throat> but I didn't realize that at the time. And it didn't, I, he quotes Chesterton, but I would have ignored that at the time. But one of the quotes he has in there is, uh, you know, alternative is mainstream. Uh, if, if young people might want to challenge the culture that they've inherited, they might try Catholicism. Uh, and I was very attracted to that long before I ever knew the term G.K. Chesterton. But, uh, you know, ultimately, all things come full circle uh, for us. I think that's a good setup to the next one that uh, out of one of his books is the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of depth to that, too. Right. Yeah. I, in, uh, when I taught <clears throat> the, the subject of grade 10 religion in Alberta is uh, Christ and culture. And uh, I told the kids what the final exam would be when I taught grade 10 religion prior to, I think I told them on the first day what the final exam was going to be. And uh, I said, I'm going to give you a quote and you're going to write about it. And uh, that's going to be your final exam. So you're going to spend the whole term learning how to write about this on your, for your final exam. And the quote was, of course, one of G.K. Chesterton's, and it was, uh, the, the only thing that keeps me from the degrading slavery of being a child of my age is Catholicism. Um, and so unpacking that was their entire final exam in Great Ten Religion. And that, that that's a that's a lot to unpack, but something that's more than worthy to, to be unpacking that and, and discovering it, and especially at that age. Uh, where there is so much influence from the world and to unpack that and, and to see the, the glory of Catholicism, the glory of the relationship with Jesus Christ. So maybe we'll, we'll go on that note of education, Paul. I told you this was going to go fast and I've had a lot of fun and I've learned a ton. So thank you very much. We're going to, we're going to have to do this again, but let's talk about the Chesterton Academy uh, locally. Obviously we're going to probably have some listeners that are from outside of Alberta, but uh, uh, we both live in Elk Island Catholic School District, so it's uh, yeah. kind of on the eastern part of, of Edmonton, uh, and Fort Saskatchewan is, is one of the cities in that district, but there is a, uh, a program called the Chesterton Academy, so maybe give us just a quick uh, yeah. intro into that, Paul, what that's about, and, uh, and uh, I, what you're trying to accomplish with that. Yeah, last summer, pre-COVID, uh, I, was, I was, again, fortunate to be able to go to the Chesterton Conference, and there was a session on on the Chesterton Education Network, which is a major initiative that's going on south of the primarily south of the border. Um, 20, 20 odd schools or twenty five odd schools trying to form this notion of uh, using Chesterton as kind of a vehicle for a classical mode of, of Catholic education. And um, I thought, well, I'll just attend these sessions. And as I sat at the back listening. I wondered to myself if it's possible that we could map the Chesterton uh, curriculum with the Alberta program of studies and if they could be linked together sufficiently that a publicly funded Catholic school board, of which there are none in the United States, um, could, could offer this program. And so we spent a few months um, with a few uh, very willing and dedicated staff looking through and mapping the curricula and finding out that indeed it, it was possible. Um, and so in, in September of this, this, well, so now three weeks ago, we opened Alberta's first and uh, Chesterton Academy. And I think the world's first online Chesterton Academy and certainly the world's first publicly funded Chesterton Academy. So the Chesterton Academy of St. Isidore and it's via St. Elkhorn Catholic Schools. Um, 
honestly, Dave, uh, I was just praying for 20 students to be a part of this so that we could have, so that it could run. Uh, we were hoping for 20 students that it could run. Um, I, I, it's been a passion of mine to Catholic education is obvious with my life's work. So it's certainly a passion of mine. Um, and so bringing these two things together, um, I was overwhelmed at the response that we have gotten. Um, and so we are proud to say we have over 75 students in grades nine and 10, which is all we're offering this year in the program and uh, ecstatic to be offering them uh, what is a unique type of educational experience in Alberta right now. So very I think it shows that there's that. a hunger for that. There's a hunger for <clears throat> that type of education, something that's different, but is rooted in, in uh, Catholicism and, and to see GK Chesterton coming, coming through with uh, that, that influence onto this generation. I think it's very encouraging and, and it's, it's awesome to see. So um, yeah, I just took this off the website and I'll post the website in the show notes too, but it says inspired by St. Pope John Paul II, we take as our motto, Cultura Vitae, the culture of life, and we make it our mission to prepare our students to triumph over materialism and despair that pervade our culture and to accept our Lord's offer to have life and have it abundantly. So that's obviously in reference to uh, John chapter 10 and the Good Shepherd, which is which is beautiful. Uh, so I'm just excited about that. And yeah, we're, we're definitely going to have to chat about that another time, Paul, and get into that a little bit more. And and uh, classical education and what that means and how that can uh, that can spur like a like a regrowth and and more evangelization in this world because right now in our church it's uh, it's looking a little a, a little a little scanty it's not looking too good right now so we need to to get all our resources together and um, and and bring people back to the faith because it's uh, definitely a, the vineyard is is full of uh, the harvest but the laborers are are very few so uh, but it's good. It's great to have Chesterton back in, and Paul, thanks for, for sharing a little bit about his life, and, uh, and uh, no, it's been, it's been great. So, yeah, thank you very much for, for joining us. Did you have any, any parting shots? Yeah, just uh, <laughs> shots. Oh, that changes everything. In <laughs> yeah, uh, no kidding. <laughs> no, just the sense of, yeah, you know what, uh, you're, you're dead right about <clears throat> an analysis of our society, but the, the, the good news is, as we draw more people into learning about the history and the history of our faith, we realize that we've been here before <clears throat> and we'll be here again in the future. And uh, our part is, is to be faithful um, in that. And uh, the church has already prevailed. So to 100%. quote, I guess to quote, uh, to quote J.R. Tolkien, all of history is, uh, is a long defeat with glimpses of the ultimate victory. We're built for heaven. Beautiful. Let's end on that. Paul, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. So good to see G.K. Chesterton, the Apostle of Common Sense, making a comeback here in the 21st century to help guide us towards heaven. Hey, Catholics, remember, confession three times a year, every Lent, Advent, and any time you're in mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you soon. God bless.